I'm turning this morning to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter number 1, 1 Timothy chapter number 1. And for our context this morning, I do want to read through this chapter, the Apostle Paul writing and reminding Timothy about not only who he is in Christ, but what he should be on the lookout for, what he should be aware of, what he should be on guard against, and that what he will, what he will be doing is, can only be compared to warfare. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning there in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do." Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ may, might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I want to draw our attention back to verse 15 this morning. Paul writes, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am chief. What Paul declares here is what he is saying is worthy to be received. Not only to be received, but believed. Paul refers to himself as being the chief of sinners. He refers to himself as the chief of sinners by his own former testimony, which was a relentless, unyielding persecution and even the death of those who were the followers of Christ, often referred to of those being of that way. All before he was gloriously converted by the sovereign grace of God, this was Paul's testimony of who he was. There's a number of different lessons that are found in this entire text. We're not going to expound through all this chapter. We have been through this book uh, a few years ago. We've gone verse by verse, but I wanted to draw our attention to this reality of what Paul is teaching us throughout this chapter. Paul, of course, is revealing to us that sinners that have been saved by grace become stewards of the gospel of the grace of God. Sinners that are saved by grace become stewards of the gospel of the grace of God. What is the gospel? Paul encapsulates the gospel in verse 15. He puts it the reality that the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is the person of Christ. But Paul doesn't just write a single verse in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and says, Timothy, just remember verse 15. Just remember this. He charged Timothy, he warned Timothy about the need, the must to preach the pure, unadulterated gospel. And that he could not preach any other doctrine. He could not change it. He could not amend it. He could not update it. But to preach the purity of what the gospel is. I know it's often tempting, it's tempting for us as we sit here this morning to say, uh, we understand this, that the gospel does not need an improvement. The gospel doesn't need an amendment. We understand we don't need to add anything to the gospel. We cannot add to the grace of God. We learned in the 10 o'clock hour about being baptized into Jesus Christ. We know that He has in fact uh, has done it all. But we have to understand that Paul is not just talking about this uh, unlikely possibility. He is talking about that which was already happening. That there was a mixture occurring. There was a misconstruing. There was an intentional desire to pollute, to corrupt the gospel. He uses words like jangling. Uses words like swerving. Uses words about people who desire to be teachers who don't even understand what they're saying. They don't even affirm it. Paul gives the purposes of the law, that the law is good if it's used properly. 
He goes down a list of people when he gives a list of the sins and the lawless and the disobedient, whoremongers and people that defile themselves with mankind, men stealers, liars, perjury, anything that's contrary to sound doctrine. And then Paul in verse 11 says, according to the glorious gospel, the blessed God which was committed to my trust. That's stewardship. He understood that what in fact had saved him was what he was to protect and what he was to guard. If anybody knew the law, if anybody knew what the law meant, Paul knew it. He knew the ins and outs of it. He knew what it really was and he knew all the errors and traditions that had been added to it. Paul tells us in this chapter that the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been committed to his trust that it must be guarded and it must be protected. We have to preach a pure gospel. A pure gospel must be the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything that is preached as being the gospel of Jesus Christ that does not refer to the person of Christ must be turned away from. When Paul writes in verse 15, he specifically encapsulates the reality of what this gospel is, who the gospel was for, how the gospel came about, and for what purpose. And Paul says this is a faithful saying. Now in verses 11 through 14, Paul gives a bit of his testimony in case someone might think this is strange that somebody who had such a terrible testimony could possibly be saved. He's not giving this testimony in order that, to glorify his sin. He's not using this as his calling card to, to make you see what a great man Paul now is because of what he once was. He's doing this in order that we might see the beauty of what the salvation of Almighty God actually does and what it actually looks like. Paul says this as a sinner who himself, how could possibly somebody as bad as Paul be saved? But it's also stated here in verses 11 through 14 to give us a summary of what the gospel that he had been trusted with is. This gospel was given to be in opposition to fables, endless genealogies, vain jangling, and contentions. Within 10 minutes of being online today, you could find all of those things. All of them. Vain janglings about the law, endless genealogies contentions about the law, contentions about everything and anything, and fables, things of no value, things of absolutely no merit. The word phrase vain jangling is interesting because it just it takes in and encompasses the whole idea of talk that is foolish or worthless. Speech that really has no value at all. It's just vanity. Doesn't do anything for anyone. Timothy's warned about these things. He's warned about the fables. He's warned about what the Jews were commonly known to do. 
they, they majored on their genealogies. They majored on their family line and how important it was to be of this family line and be of this person and how this was what led them into what they would call salvation. But there's no spiritual edification in that at all. The Jews, and Paul knew what this was, had elevated the law to somehow merit salvation. The law was never meant to bring salvation. The law was meant to us to show that we needed salvation. We need it because we can't keep the law. So Paul says this is a faithful saying in verse 15, and it's worthy of all acceptation. It's worthy of all to receive. Notice he says that it's this faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Paul also mentions Christ Jesus. The person of Christ coming into the world. And salvation that is wrought by Him is the very sum, the very substance of what the Gospel is. So Paul says it's a faithful saying. It's correct. It's sound. It's worthy to be accepted. It's faithful in that it is given by a faithful God. Don't ever lose sight of that. It's not just faithful because Paul said it. It's faithful because God said it. All too often we're putting our faith in the knowledge of what some man says he knows. The man that dogmatically says, I understand all of what this book is about. I understand everything. If you want to know what the Bible says, just come and talk to me. I know all the answers. I'm sorry, but the only one who's truly faithful and has all the answers is God Himself. And He's faithful. His Word is faithful. What He has said is true. So Paul's not saying this, just believe it because I said it. It's a faithful saying, and this faithful saying begins with Christ Jesus. It's faithfulness because God said it. It's faithful because God has displayed Himself to be exactly who He said He is. The Word of God shows us the perfection of His nature. It tells of His, his holiness. It tells us of His wrath. It tells us of His justice, of His love, of His grace, of His mercy, of His law. He's faithful to His Word. And He's faithful to all the promises that He's given. He's faithful in carrying out the promise to bring His Son and to send His Son into the world, which He did do. Here the faithfulness of Christ now we see. God the Father sends the Son and the Son comes into the world and Christ carries out His work and He does it faithfully. He lives a perfect life. He's sinless. He fulfills the law. He doesn't do away with the law. He fulfills the law in its entirety. So we see not only the faithfulness of God the Father, we see the faithfulness of Christ Himself. Christ, of course, is faithful to the Father. He and His Father are one. One in will. One in accomplishment. One in purpose. Christ died to accomplish the salvation for His people. Now we do see an aspect of Paul talking about faithfulness of those who preach this. Paul was a faithful minister. Timothy was a faithful minister. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands of faithful ministers around the world who are preaching and proclaiming the pure gospel of Christ Jesus. 
But at the same time, there are thousands who are not. There are thousands who are in pulpits today who are preaching a corrupted, polluted gospel that is not centered on what Paul says the gospel is in verse 15. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We have to be on guard against it. So the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to Timothy and the work that Timothy's going to be carrying on, he wants Timothy to understand, Timothy, this is faithful. God is faithful. It's worthy to be accepted. Who should accept this? Will all people accept this? No. But all sorts of people will. People from every different background. Educated, uneducated. Rich people, poor people. Great people, unknown people. It's worthy to be received by any, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you come from. And it should be held as the Word of God. It is faithful. It is the Word of God. My hope, my faith this morning, and yours should not be the hope or the Word of man. I don't care how educated that man is. I don't care how long he's been in ministry. Your hope and your faith is not in that man. Your hope and faith is in a faithful God. Every man who preaches the Word, who stands up today and preaches, can go into error. You don't idolize the man who gives the word. You idolize the word. And don't even idolize it in the sense of making it your idol. But it's the faithfulness of God that you can trust. It's worthy to be accepted. Not because the man is eloquent. Not because the man is, has a great reputation. Not because the man is a celebrity. As a side note, that is a problem in our Christian circles today. The celebrity preacher is a problem. It's not about being known. It's about making Jesus Christ known. It's not about having a following. John said it best. He must increase. I must decrease. The gospel will never elevate the preacher. It will humble him to the dust. And it should humble us to the dust when we realize that Christ Jesus has saved us. There's no room for pride in that. There's no room for a man to be prideful in what he knows. But he needs to protect and guard the purity of the gospel. We ought to receive the Word of God with readiness. We ought to receive it and accept it as entirely true, not mixed with error. We must view it as being absolutely necessary and actually the same message for every sort of person. I've said this many times. You don't change the Gospel because the audience changes. You don't change the gospel because someone wants you to believe that God is okay with certain sins. And you don't suddenly say it's okay to believe these things if the Bible says it's not okay 
to believe these things. But he says, you can faithfully accept this. Christ Jesus came into the world. It is to be esteemed as the most valuable possession that we have. Christ Jesus. Here's a name that's worthy to be accepted. Christ. Worthy of all acceptation. He can save the vilest of sinners. The vilest offender. Don't put a limit on who God can save. Don't put a limit on how bad a person can send their way out of salvation. Christ can and does save even the most vile offender. The most wicked, filthy, corrupted person that you can think of, Christ Jesus can save them. He came into the world for this very purpose, to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, not an angel, although angels are ministers of God. They don't save. It's not the most self-righteous person that came into the world to save sinners. The Apostle Paul didn't say the Apostle Paul came into the world to save sinners. No, he said Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's a vast difference. Christ, the name, literally means anointed one. The one sent by God. Messiah. The promised Messiah throughout the Old Testament. He isn't new. He didn't begin in the book of Matthew. He's always been. The very God, Jesus Christ. Sent by the Father. Prepared, qualified to do the work of saving. Christ didn't come into this world apart from the will of the Father. He came in accordance with the will of the Father. There are some today that are preaching a rogue Christ. Some of these things that you hear me talk about that may, you, you look at me as I, I've never heard that before. Folks, that's part of the responsibility that I have as your pastor is to alert you to things that are on the horizon. The teaching that Christ went rogue. That Christ was doing His own thing. He knew what the Father wanted Him to do, but when He got here, He wanted to do His own thing. There's no such thing as a rogue Christ. He always did the will of His Father. In saving sinners, that was the will of the Father. God the Father anointed Him in order that He would save sinners. In one event in the Bible, or in one narrative, Christ is in the synagogue at Nazareth. And He said this, and He applied to Himself the words of the prophet Isaiah. Here's what He said in the synagogue that day. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Luke 4 verses 18 and 19. In that narrative, Jesus speaks those words of Isaiah. He closes the scroll. 
and he sits down. He's speaking the prophecy of Isaiah that's speaking of himself. That he would be the one that would come and would be recover sight to the blind. That he's the one that would set them at liberty who were bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. But notice he says, because he hath appointed me. That's a reference to his father. He's appointed me to preach the gospel. Christ Jesus, the sent one, the anointed one. But notice Paul says, not just Christ came into the world, but he uses the word and the title, the name Christ Jesus. Jesus, that is, Savior. He came as the anointed, commissioned Savior. And I do mean this with every, every bit of reverence that my feeble brain and, and mouth can speak. If He is not the Savior that was prophesied and promised, and again, I say this carefully, then Christ is nothing. But praise God, He is. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Not one of, not one to choose from, but He is the Savior. The only Savior of the sinner. There is nothing else in this world that can save the sinner than Jesus Christ. He came into the world to save sinners. Now oftentimes we get into this, we get into this debate. I believe the Bible is very clear about this. He came into the world to save all that the Father had given Him. It's very clear that that's who God the Father said. All that the Father has given unto me will come unto me. This verse does not in any way, shape, or form say that all people will be saved. They won't all be saved. There's no way we can come to the conclusion in Scripture anywhere that every single person who's living, has lived, or will live is going to be saved. Yet every person who has lived, is living, will live, they are all sinners. But if in fact He came to save every sinner and every sinner has not been saved, then His mission and commission from the Father has failed. That means if there's anybody in hell today that, what, that He's died for, then His mission failed. None that Christ died for are in hell today. This is a difficult truth for us to come to grips with. Christ came. He laid aside His heavenly glory that He might be the Savior of sinners. He came into the world to save sinners. When Jesus Christ came into this world, took on that robe of human flesh, never ceasing to be God, we read in Luke 2.14, the angels said this of Him, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angel of the Lord said to Joseph in Matthew 1.21, thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. Take very clear notice that the angels and the angel of the Lord clearly said the one who would save His people from their sins was the Savior, Christ Jesus, 
not Mary, not Buddha, not other saints, not the most righteous person in the world, but that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The most beloved verse, even by people who don't even know Christ, is John 3.16. Maybe the love's not the right word. The verse people are most familiar with. Yet many have no understanding of what that verse means. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Christ Jesus, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So who do we proclaim the Gospel to? Every sinner. Every sinner that walks through the door of this building, every sinner that tunes into a live webcast, that tunes into a sermon, downloads an audio, it's the free offer of the Gospel. I don't have in my notes anywhere that the gospel is for all sorts of people except this group over here. It's a free offer of the gospel. Free offer. Whosoever. So when people say, you know, your reformed type theology does not line up. Whosoever is what it says. And we understand the implications to that. But there is none of you today that are not called and commanded to repent and believe the gospel. That's the free offer. I'm not shielding it or refraining it from anybody. He came into the world to save. But they, have, they may have everlasting life, John 3.16 ends with. So we see Christ, we see Jesus came into the world sent by the Father. Again, not only was Christ not rogue when He was here, He also did not come against His will. Before the foundation of the world, that wonderful covenant made, fully consenting, coming voluntarily in the fullness of time into this sinful world where He was hated and He continues to be hated. This phrase came into the world, and I want you to understand this, is not simply a change of place or a change of location. I hope we can see this. Came into the world is not emphasizing the location which he came. It's emphasizing what he came into the world to do. And what he came into the world to do was to assume the nature of sinners. He didn't become a sinner. That goes back to the reality of the false Christ that's being preached about the rogue Christ. That would make him a sinner. He came and assumed, took on, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5 this morning, he knew no sin, but he came, became sin for us. The same persons that he saved. The Savior of sinners means the Savior of all men. All sorts of men. Who is guilty of the sin of Adam? Every person who's ever lived. 
There is no one in this world from the youngest to the oldest that can say, I am not a sinner, nor have I ever been a sinner, nor will I ever be a sinner. There are false teachers who stand up for their congregations and say, I am not a sinner. And they say it with a straight face. I am not a sinner. Or those who are involved in an outward sin that God clearly condemns and says this is a sin and they say God's okay with this sin. No, He's not. But the reality that Paul talks about here is that Paul says that he was a blasphemer. Verse 13. A persecutor. But then he says this, but I obtained mercy. Because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul was ignorant of the truth. He didn't do this as a sin against the Holy Ghost. He didn't do this as a sin against the Spirit of God. He did it ignorantly, he said, in unbelief. But he calls himself one of the very ones that Christ came for. Now, if in fact... If Christ Jesus came to save every sinner, then here's what's going to happen. Every sinner is going to be saved. But the Bible doesn't line up that way. The Bible doesn't teach universal salvation. So did Jesus fail if every person, every sinner isn't saved? No, he hasn't failed. Because God the Father and the Christ are with one accord. All that the Father gave me will come unto me. This is not a sign of arrogance or pride, but if you came unto Christ and you are a child of God today, you were one the Father gave to the Son. There's no two ways about it. You didn't get here just by your ascending to a truth and said, I think I'll accept this today. You were made willing to believe. And you can have this same testimony that Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. All sorts even notorious sinners. Even that sinner that hung on the cross next to our Lord and Jesus Himself said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That man could not do any other Christian work. He could do nothing to earn it. He could do nothing to merit it. Yet Christ says today, the most vile offender can be saved. Now, why does Paul give himself when he says, I'm the chief of sinners? Now, you realize what Paul is saying when he says, I'm the chief. He's not saying I'm the captain. He's saying, I am the most notorious and the worst of every sinner who's ever lived. Now, Christ Jesus came into the world. We know this about Christ. He's the very God of the very God. Creator of all things. We see Jesus Christ in creation. We see Hebrews 1, 2, and 3 saying the world and all things are being sustained by the word of His power. Christ comes into the world to save sinners. He goes to the cross with that purpose. To save sinners. Paul understands what the, the real gospel is. I mentioned at 10 o'clock today, the pure gospel does not begin with this question. Do you want to go to heaven? 
That is not the first question. That's not even the second question. That might not even be the tenth question. But it is going to be questions about our sin. Do we recognize that? Do you even recognize today that you're a sinner? Do you recognize that apart from the saving merits and righteousness of Jesus Christ, you are lost and undone? That you have no hope today? You have no righteousness of your own unless you are in Christ Jesus. I've read this verse hundreds of times. And I'm I'm not saying that because it matters how many times. But every time I see what Paul says, of whom I am chief, I have to be honest, I get to the point, how could a man like Paul call himself the chief of sinners, knowing what we see in others, but even more importantly, knowing what you see in yourself? Now, I can't dispute with God's word because this is the inspired word and God breathed through the inspiration of the spirit that this is what we're reading today. So I'm not disputing with, is Paul actually the chief of sinners? But we might ask ourselves the question in our flesh, in our humanity, does the apostle Paul really have the right to that title? Paul's intent was not for you to say, oh, Paul, chief of sinners. It's meant to humble us. Because every single one of us in this room, every single person who's listening will listen. This is the attitude that we have when we fully understand who we are apart from Jesus Christ. Because it doesn't matter if you were a blasphemer. It doesn't matter if you were a persecutor. Our attitude towards our own sin should be this. I'm the chief of sinners. Not, I'm glad I'm not as notorious as my neighbor. I'm glad I'm not as notorious as my uh, co-worker. I'm glad I'm not as bad as those people I see on the news. Every person who hears the pure gospel of Jesus Christ is not elevated. They are brought down and they are crushed and they are humbled to the dust when they say, no, 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 Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. Again, you say, well, pastor, most of us here, we're all saved. I don't know that. Only God knows the heart. All I know about you is the same that you know about me. You know what I profess. You might hear what I preach. You might look and see what I do. But only Christ and only God the Father knows my heart. And if you think today that the gospel is not being used to build fortunes and build careers, You've got your head deep, deep in the sand. It is popular to sell the gospel. A false gospel, but nevertheless being packaged as a gospel. It might not show up in the same way that Paul was writing to Timothy about. 
but we have to guard it. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I imagine there are plenty of us here today that would say, before I was converted, before Christ saved me, I did things much worse than Paul ever even dreamed of doing. Honestly, chief of sinners or the title of I am chief is true of every sinner in this room. We're all chief sinners. See, that's where the problem comes. We get our eyes off and we start looking around and seeing other people's sin and saying, boy, I'm sure glad I'm not that bad. Apart from the saving mercy and grace of our Lord, we are all chief sinners. You see, the gospel, the pure gospel, humbles the sinner. That title of chief sinner is true for every person who's ever sinned, which is all of us. Now you notice Paul goes on in verse 16, and Paul connecting these thoughts, he says, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Here's that stewardship that Paul talked about. Paul sets forth an example of God's saving mercy. Notice he does not glorify Paul. He glorifies the sovereign grace of God. In verses 17 through 20, Paul then exhorts Timothy to remain faithful to the pure gospel of Christ Jesus. And then Paul does something that is always under, over, uh, uh, debated in our circles. Should you ever call out by name false brethren? Paul does it. Now, does that give us a license to do it? But he calls out false brethren. He calls out those who claim to be one thing but really weren't. You see, you do that today and people just call you hateful. But if someone's preaching a false gospel and leading people astray, don't we have an obligation as stewards of the gospel to proclaim it properly and to proclaim the pure gospel? If my family members are sitting under false teaching, don't I have an obligation to warn them? Even if it is their favorite celebrity preacher, don't I have an obligation to warn them? And I'm talking about so much more than the obvious false teachers. I'm moving well beyond the Beth Moores and the Osteens. Well, I'm moving, we're, we're, those are obvious ones. But what about the ones who talk the same language you talk? What about the ones who use the same language you use? What about the ones who talk about the gospel and even use the name Christ Jesus? Are they preaching the pure gospel? The Bible tells us to try every spirit. You say, well, my relative gave me this link on YouTube, so they must be good. Don't ever be that naive. But this preacher told me, don't ever be that naive. If I tell you, go listen to this link, you better still try it and you better still test it. Be sure it's the truth. But we have an obligation. We have an obligation to be sure to be good stewards of what God has said the gospel is. 
Now this is an extreme measure that he took here. Paul uses the terminology he delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now Paul knew a little bit about what a blasphemer was because he said, before I was converted, that's what I was, a blasphemer. They were excommunicated, if you will. You can't do that in a church today. That's just too, that's too hateful. That's too mean. Folks, if you allow a false gospel to even get a foothold, if we allow a false gospel in this church to even get a toe in this building and you don't stop it, it'll destroy this place. It'll destroy not this building. It'll destroy this congregation. It'll split it wide open. You say, but this church is doing it. This church is listening to it. This church is doing it. Listen, just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean it's right. Just because your celebrity preacher said it doesn't make it right either. See, because whatever you put before somebody, that's what you believe. You either believe the faithful sayings of the Word of God or you believe the vain jangling of something else. But the Gospel is what we're to be stewards of. A couple things I thought about as, I, as we close this morning is the first question we ask ourselves, and maybe you ask yourself today, do you believe that Christ is willing to save? You might be here today and you say, listen, I, I, I have heard salvation. I've heard, I've heard gospel. I've heard words. I've heard Christ Jesus. I've heard coming into the world. But do you believe that Christ is willing to save? Being willing is one thing. The second thing is, do you think he's able? It'd be one thing for me to say, I'm willing to do something, but then not be able to do it. Christ Jesus is not only willing, he's able. Is he not the Savior? Is he not the promised Messiah? Yes, God is faithful. He is able to save. Someone could be here today and say, listen, I, I, I cannot, I cannot continue in the way I'm going. As we say every single Sunday and every single Wednesday before we leave this place, then repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same message you heard last week. It's the same message you're going to hear next week. It's the same message, Lord willing, 50 years from now, if this church is still a church and pray the Lord that it is, they hear the same thing they heard this very Sunday and it doesn't change, it's not amended, it's not updated, it's the exact same thing because it's the exact same message Paul was preaching. It doesn't change with the times. It doesn't become more relevant. The gospel is the gospel no matter who it is, no matter what time frame it is, and no matter what sin you've committed. And it doesn't change to accommodate the sins of people. But He came into the world to save sinners. If you're saved today, you were the chief of sinners. You still sin. I still sin. There's forgiveness. There's repentance. There's mercy. And I love again what Paul said. I obtained mercy. He didn't earn it. He didn't merit it. He obtained it by the free gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So the believer, I hope you'll be encouraged today. But for the unbeliever, I, I pray that the Lord through the Spirit will use this to effectually work in your heart. Open your eyes to your need of Christ. Make you willing to believe that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Let's pray together.